to be able to use our skills for the first time for our first charity build. You know, as contractors, obviously you go through the motions every day, you know what you're doing and you're just doing it for the money. But to be able to come in there and say, wow, guys, we actually changed somebody's life. Amazing. I think that is the most rewarding thing that anyone can do. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Crystal Laurie. Today's guests founded Rescuing Families, Gina and Vincent Santoro, married contractors with a nonprofit that's making lives better for New Yorkers on Long Island, one house renovation at a time at no cost for people with disabilities. Now, I've decided I'm making these intros a bit shorter, but I also don't want to lose my chance to talk directly to you, the listener, about what sticks with me in each episode. In this one, I was moved not only by what this couple has been through, their struggles and loss, but I also love how they were inspired to mobilize. Your response to challenges, that's what defines you, I think. We have a lot to learn from how the Centuros changed their narrative while crushing a rewarding joint bucket list career. Let's listen. Gina and Vincent, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I love the husband-wife aspect to your team. That's really a lot of fun. And there's just so much to love about what you guys are doing. It's very special to have you both on the show. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Guys, let's start with how you got into the contracting business to begin with. What you're doing is obviously so special. You've figured out a way to turn your passions into something really rewarding. You both have a background in contracting. Gina, you came to the table with your design skill set. You figured out a way to give back with what you love to do. And I think that that's a really great theme for bucket list careers. But let's start earlier in your careers with how you began in your contracting business. And we're going to just follow the whole path to where you are now. So either one of you, just tell me a little bit about your origins. I started as a graphic artist, loved doing landscape design and interior design. It was just kind of a hobby at the time. We met, Vinny was working as an EMT for the New York City Fire Department at the time. We purchased our own home, our first home together, bought what we could afford. It was a complete and utter disaster area. We started to rehab it ourselves. And then he came along and said, we need to start a contracting business because we loved what we were doing and we didn't kill each other. Yes, we went through almost the year on that project. We weren't living in the house for a year. We were staying at my parents' house throughout that whole time. No arguing. I grew up doing construction from the age 10 with my grandfather, then my dad and so on. So for me, it was natural. So we wanted to buy a house that needed a lot of work because we knew we were capable of fixing it. But I think I really dragged Gina in on this big time. (laughs) Because I needed an assistant, and she's a quick learner, so it made a perfect combination. It did. And then we dragged my brother in with us, and one of my good friends. It was really four or five of us doing the work here. We all said, why don't we do this? And, And my brother decided that, you know, this is great. He's another creative guy like me. Our family is creative. And we said, we really should do this. And we have been, what, 15 years? 15 years, yeah. And honestly, I don't think I would have really went into that by myself. If I didn't have the right partner and and having Gina, there's no way I would be doing this, what I'm doing right now, for sure. So we made a great team to start. Oh, I love you recognizing that, Vinny, that kind of gratitude for each other has to play a big role, I think, in why you work as a unit for 15 years in your contracting business together. 
And then you decided to create this nonprofit, renovating houses for people with disabilities at no cost to them. I also know that both of you have very personal reasons for doing all this. So let's talk about that. For me personally, that was one of my biggest drives. We had tragedy in, in my own family, losing my dad suddenly. He was a, a Vietnam vet, was disabled, wheelchair bound at that time. And I was taking care of him from a young age, from 10 years old on up. I was figuring out ways to make the house safer for him. So for me, it was kind of, it was, it was in my blood. It was just something that was normal for me to do because that's how I grew up. Right. And then once he passed away, I said, you know what? We have to continue that movement because there's so many families that were like ours that were struggling, had no help. So I said, I got to keep that going. I got to help families that were like my dad. I can't physically help him anymore, which that saddens me greatly. But I can help husbands and wives and disabled children now that were similar to his situation. So that was a big drive. So my family, uh, my sister is multiply disabled, deaf, autistic, and developmentally disabled. So I grew up, obviously, my whole life around someone with special needs. My dad was a Korean War veteran. And my mom uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer about seven years ago. She passed. This will be seven years in October. Hmm. My mom passed and then Vinny's dad passed suddenly nine months later. And we said, you know, we don't have children. We still have families that we're personally taking care of his mom, my sister, my dad at the time. And we need to do this. We need to help families like ours. We saw even in our contracting business that there were families that were struggling to just get basic repairs done, let alone, you know, mold remediation is a huge cost. So we would just do things ourselves for the families, help them. But Vinny and I both said, as much as we love doing this, we have to start a charity. We have to bring it to the people and let other neighbors help neighbors and and get involved with us. And let's make like almost starting a movement. It was very important to us, not just as contractors, but as a family that needed help themselves at the time. And so this is about five years later since you formed Rescuing Families. How did you grow it? How many projects have there been? And I'd love to hear just some really warm and fuzzy good stories along the way. We've had, this is our, we're on our fourth project. We're, right. on, we're on our third project right now. Our first project, it was just, the, uh, what was it? The three of us, right. sometimes four of us. So we took on a huge renovation out in the Wyandanne, in Suffolk County. The house was in, in total disarray. So it took us a year. We were on that project every day for a year. That was our very first project. I wanted to start off very small. I said, we're a brand new charity. Let's take on a small project, maybe just a handicapped bathroom. But we got this application and this family was in such distress that we honestly, who we are as people, we couldn't walk away from it. So we took on the the unthinkable. People thought we were crazy with taking on a project that big. But Gina can... uh... (laughs) It was just wonderful, truthfully, to be able to use our skills for the first time for our first charity build. You know, as contractors, obviously you go through the motions every day, you know what you're doing and you're just doing it for the money. But to be able to come in there and say, wow, guys, we actually changed somebody's life. Amazing. I think that is the most rewarding thing that anyone can do, even if it's a small thing. But this particular project, not going to lie, it really wore us down. We were physically, emotionally exhausted. But by the reveal day, and we got to see everybody that actually helped us, corporations and small volunteer force that we have here and there would help us. 
to see everybody together celebrating this family, celebrating this victory and what we did, not just as contractors, but as a family, I think was an absolute amazing thing. Absolutely amazing. That's the best part of the job. So people that you're helping, do they not see anything for a full year? Do you actually have that big reveal moment like they do on HGTV or (laughs) any of those networks? Or do you kind of bring them in periodically? How involved are they? Oh, 100% not involved. Got it. Okay. And Gina, you're like beaming. You must enjoy this. (laughs) I can just tell. That is the best thing in the world. The suspense must be awesome. Yeah. They have no idea. So you do have the big reveal. We do. And they are trusting us. And especially me at that point with designing a space that not only suits them, we believe in not just making it accessible, Mm -hmm. but making it beautiful. Design is for everybody. And I think that's where a lot of that gets lost in translation. It tends to look clinical or hospital. We pride ourselves as contractors and as a charity in making them a beautiful space that they can take care of, that they can afford, and that they can enjoy. And that's the that really is another real great part of it is for us to come in there and I notice every little thing, okay, this person likes this, this is important to them. Just in the placement of things, you can tell what's important to somebody. And we're able to take that all together and then present it to them at the end. And they're anxious, not going to lie. Most of the families have a lot of anxiety about giving their house over to strangers. You know, it's a big trust issue and we get that. But so far, our record has been pretty good. (laughs) Oh, nice. So no one's been unhappy with the big reveal. I'm not surprised. And when are you two getting your own show on TV, by the way, Rescuing Families? Just saying, I can definitely see you doing it. (laughs) Let's talk about the challenges in growing a nonprofit like this. You use volunteers. You must rely on donations, fundraising. How are you navigating that? So we are truly a, a nonprofit. I think this is one of the toughest things is that we 100% donate our time. We take zero. All of our volunteers take zero. So any money that does come in from donations goes right to electricians or plumbers, trades that we're not licensed in. Right. So a lot of people that, that, that people don't understand that part, I think. And that's one of the biggest hurdles we have is getting that funding and then realizing that we're... We're not taking any money. We take no salaries here. Right. We have our contracting business. We survive with that. Right. But this is totally, 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 truly a nonprofit. So that's one of our biggest challenges is is funding, I would say. Funding. Well, it's like any other charity. I think because we're smaller and maybe don't have the recognition of like some of the larger, more commercial charities have, think that we kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Most charities you'll see, especially here on Long Island, you know it, you'll see a lot of animal charities. You will see a lot of charities for the homeless charities. You don't find a lot of charities that do exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. Their renovation is completely free. There are no strings attached. We set them up with any social services they need, any programs they need. They become part of our family. Each family comes and helps the next family. That's been a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Challenge wise, like Vinny said, I I believe it's just getting the word out there about us and who we are. There are so many families that need help and not enough people able or willing to donate in order to bring that help. Getting the word out there is really a very big component of your growth and making this all work. Yeah. 
Well, hopefully this helps a little bit. <laughs> I feel good about that. And as far as challenges, Gina, when you and I spoke briefly before the podcast, you did say that you dealt with some things coming onto a construction site and feeling as though, even though you're a licensed contractor, being a woman, you weren't necessarily accepted or there were some assumptions made that, you know, yes. maybe you weren't qualified, which we all know is not the case. So tell me about that from a woman's perspective. Starting from the contracting business, working my way even to today, we're on a job site, people will automatically, men and women, even when we meet the families, they're amazed, first of all, that a woman does something other than just design a space. They see me, I come in, I'm all dressed up, I have you know makeup on, I have my hair done, and we go there because we want people to understand that you know this is who we are. But then I show up there like this because we just left the build site today and they're skeptical. Well, is she capable? As a woman, can she carry things? Can she use tools? Mm-hmm. And I'm six feet tall. I'm not a tiny little girl. So it gets a little tired. I'm not going to lie. Having other contractors laugh at me. The men are, are very rough on me and actually on Vinny. I don't like them making fun of him either because he's got a woman on his job site. And it's a challenge, believe it or not. I've been told this by other contractors who are accepting of me. It's a challenge in the Northeast. If you go out West or to the Midwest, they don't have that. Women in the trades are actually very prevalent now. It's the Northeast that seems to be very much a boys club. I'm working very hard to break that up. Mm. Yes, there you go. Shattering glass ceilings. <laughs> You're breaking a lot of things, I'm sure. Um, no, well, that's something we need to work on, yeah. right? Yes. Right, Vinny? I'm sure you agree with that, too. I agree with that. And, and Gina outdoors herself, so I don't really even need to step in. As soon as they see her working, I don't need to say anything. She gets much respect after they yep. see that she's capable, you know? So Yeah, it speaks for itself. Vinny, just to go back to you being an EMT for years, you know, there's definitely a theme here of selflessness. How does this make you feel doing this job for people? This is really, this is what I feel like I was meant to be here for. My previous career was New York City EMS. I did that for about seven years, did her training. So I was always in the industry of helping people. Mm -hmm. But this has really put my love of construction, right? Now, number one, and then the love of helping people all into one big wall. Right. I mean, personally, I couldn't ask for a better career. Really. I mean, I'm doing what I love every day. So us working, let's say 18 hours, seven days a week, no problem. You know what? I could do that every day if it had to be. What is the number of hours that you two are working? Because you're telling me you've got the other business and then you've got rescuing families on top of it. Rescuing families, to be honest with you, has taken over 95% of our life. We're down to probably 5% in the private sector of doing construction, just enough Mm -hmm. to keep the lights on pretty much. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) We've invested well. (laughs) We're okay. We don't require much, which is a good thing. I don't know that I sleep much. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he sleeps (laughs) much. Truthfully, on the job site, we try to be there between nine and five, seven days a week. We try to do that. We do take time off for our family. Obviously, my sister needs care. We have to watch his mom. Right. So do take time off here and there. And we take time off for ourselves. We weren't for the longest, but we feel like our personal life was suffering. Yeah. Not as a couple so much as just a family unit without having my mom and dad here and just having his mom. 
it's very easy to forget your own family when you're entrenched in someone else's, you know, helping someone else and trying to make someone else's life better. And right. we have to constantly bring that back home and say, hey, listen, yeah, we love what we do, but we can't have our family suffer while we're making other people's lives better. We have to have a work and, and a home life balance. Well, you're passionate and it's very clear. You guys are like finishing each other's sentences. You're in this together. But you're right, taking that moment of self-awareness and saying, okay, let's not lose sight of each other, number one, number two, you know, our family unit. I think that's really smart. Tell me about what you guys did during the pandemic. I think I read that you were able to donate thousands of masks and face shields. So walk us through what you did on that front. Construction got shut down. We couldn't do any rescues. We couldn't do anything. But we had a, a load of these N95 masks in the garage just sitting there from one of our sponsors, donated them to us to help us out all the time. So you know what? We can't use them. We had hundreds of them just sitting there, seeing on TV about all the healthcare workers, the shortage that they had. I said, you know what? Let's let's donate all of them. Perfect. Yeah. Let's, we don't need them right now. We don't know when we're going back to construction. So we started off putting a feeler out on Facebook. And I think from that day... <laughs> We started off with, I think, 400 masks that day on Facebook. They were gone within, I would say, half hour they lasted, right? Yeah, I'm sure. That day we got nonstop, nonstop. We went for a solid 40 days straight, I would say. Longer than that. We're still getting requests for masks and gloves. We started off, I put it on Facebook. Like many said, we had over a thousand shares of just our posts. We recruited so many different people from all over the country with the help of one of our volunteers who she worked tirelessly. And we got so many things shipped as our, our home became a warehouse and a shipping department. We were helping people from anywhere from FDNY EMS to the NYPD came here. They were all coming to our house to pick up people as far away from the Bronx, from the Hamptons, from the hospital. Then the United Cerebral Palsy, we got involved with their group homes needed it. So we gave it to them. Families with disabilities, we were shipping it out to them. We had all of these people converging on our tiny charity. It was Michael, Vinny, and I working. I had notebooks upon notebooks, Krista, of all these people that we were sending things to. It was on, I did, couldn't even enter it onto my computer. Oh, that's amazing. Somebody in Mississippi contacted us. They needed masks. We sent it out and it turned out to be Robin Roberts' niece. Ah, and that's how you got on Good Morning America. Yes. I did see that clip. Well, you know what? Of course you're going to get noticed for the good work that you're doing. Let's talk advice and takeaways for our Bucket List Careers listeners, because from your story, there's a lot to learn. How can people apply some of the things that you guys have been through to removing the roadblocks to getting to their dream jobs? First of all, you you really have to take the time and really think about what your dream job is. A few years ago, I didn't necessarily think this was my dream job. I had the liking of caring for people. So for me, you got to give it time. You have to really figure it out. You mean like identifying your purpose, if you will? I really do. You take notes. I have notebooks. I have the notebooks taking notes of what I want to accomplish and how I can really better the world and how I can do that with the skills that I have. So you have to kind of figure all that out. So I knew I had contracting skills. That was like second nature for me. I knew I had caring for people, especially the disabled families. So I knew how can I fix their struggles? And then it kind of snowballed for me. I had a multitude of jobs, all of which, I don't want to say all, at the time, all of which I hated. And I know a lot of people are in that situation. 
you're just going through the motions, you're job to job to job, hated every job. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I had an aha moment. I got laid off from a job that I didn't absolutely love. And I said to them, I want to thank you because you've set me free and you've pushed me in the direction I needed to go. I will never work for another person again. Wow. There I started my journey of trying to start my own company with my art and doing that kind of thing and doing design work. But Vinny is right. Like I started to recognize that every job that I had that I thought I was miserable at actually helped me and led me to exactly where I am now and gave me the skill sets to be able to do what I'm doing now. So I think people need to recognize that where they are now might just be a stepping stone to where they're supposed to be or where they're headed. They need to pay attention to that and figure out, I don't like this, but I might, where do I want to go? Right. Absolutely. Guys, this has been so useful, I believe, for our podcast and just a lot of fun to talk to you both. Tell me where people can follow you on social media, those kinds of platforms. Our website is rescuingfamilies.org. But if they want to jump onto social media, Rescuing Families is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's very simple, at Rescuing Families. If anybody needs help, would like to volunteer or donate, you can always contact us through our website or you can give us a call. All of our information is on our website, rescuingfamilies.org. Perfect. Thank you very much for joining me. I think we're going to have to have you on the show again in a year to see where you are and how many more families you've helped. Thank you so much for your time. You're doing great stuff. Thank you so much, Krista. We were so excited to be on. Thank you. So I'm starting to get suggestions from you for awesome bucket list career guests, and I love it. Send them my way. Email is Krista at BucketListCareersPodcast.com. Krista is spelled with a C-H. And be sure to join me next time for stories about cool gigs and the journeys to success. Thanks so much for listening, guys. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.